calling this by the numbers really quick. And uh, while we don't necessarily focus on numbers, how many of you know numbers tell a story? And numbers represent stories, and numbers tell us the things that are happening. And so if you're a, uh, if you're a numbers person, you'll love this part. But uh, one of the things that we did th- uh, this year that you didn't see on the screen was our serve day. Over 100 grocery food items and sacked lunch supplies were donated. 320 lunches were made. 120 lunches went to homeless shelter for homeless children. 180 distributed on the streets. Uh, we fed on that day 40-plus people through the Ronald McDonald House. M- meals made from, uh, for families that are terminally ill or have injured children. Uh, we reached out to seven stations of firefighters providing gift baskets and appreciation cards. Uh, the Road Home uh, Donation Center, people started closing donations for four hours there. Uh, two film, uh, military families received yard cleanup and maintenance around their homes while their husbands were deployed and are deployed. Come on. Come on, somebody. And uh, on, that, on that weekend alone, we had over 100 of you engaged in serving and making that happen. This year, almost $80,000 went out to our strategic partners, both locally and foreign. Uh, Outreach, ARC, our church planting network that we work with, because he first loved us, which is a ministry to refugees here in the valley. On top of the money that we give them and provide for them, over 230 gifts were given to them at Christmas time and through our church. Come on, somebody. Holding Out Help, which is a ministry that works with uh, uh, women and children who are uh, being rescued out of the FL. DS situation that we see, um, and we've been able to provide finance for them, uh, an India exploration trip that's getting ready to happen in just a few weeks where we're going to be working with young women and children um, in the sex trafficking slave. Money's been given towards there. Um, we supported a church in Seattle called Sea Church who has seen over 30 people say yes to Jesus this year as they've been launched for just six months. Uh, this year, we were able to hire pastors Andrew and Caitlin Winston for our new downtown location. Uh, we brought on Pastor Seth as well as he is overseeing our local engagement and uh, our local mission stuff. He's overseeing our Redemption House projects as well as our community engagement, and you're going to hear a lot more of that um, over the coming weeks and years. Check this out. In the last year, we have had almost 300 people take next steps in and through our grow course. That's insane. That's awesome. We've had over 150 people engaged in each table group semester. We've had 200, and we have 220 people on teams right now, and over 300 people said yes to Jesus in 2018 alone. I want to read it one more time so you can hear this, and I'm going to do it slow, even though I have massive ADD right now, and I want to go really fast. (laughs) This is our mission statement. It's on the wall out there. Here at the well, we are building a house that welcomes the last and the lost. A house that beckons the brokenhearted, builds up the beat down. We're building a house that calls out to the castaway and the commuter, the callous and the cast down. A house with its doors open to the marginalized and the maligned. A house that throws a party for the wayward and binds up the defeated. We are a house that welcomes home the burdened and the burnt out. Encourages the discouraged, heals the hurting, loves the unlovable, and accepts the unacceptable. We're building a house that is united in cause. It is resolute in character. It is intentional with its resource. It is founded on truth and has Jesus at the center. We are a house where you can laugh and you can cry. You can doubt and dig in. We're a house for this city where we can say what those signs say over our door. Welcome home. Welcome home. That is our mission statement here. At the well. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3 says this. 
write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It's always moving. It's always happening. God is always doing stuff. It, has, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, come on, how many have been there before? <laughs> God, are you sure you're working in this timing? It seems like it's going. If it seems slow, here it is. Wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, what does vision require? What does vision require? As we look at what is required to live a life of vision and faith, as we celebrate Vision Sunday here at the well, but not just for us as a church, but for us as individuals as well. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for this moment that we have. It's a holy moment. God, I thank you for every single person that will walk through this building today. Your church, not the four walls, but the people that make it up. God, we collectively come to worship today in order to be united in faith, united in cause, resolute on what it is that you're calling us to so that we can leave this building and go be the church. The church you've called us to be as we love people in our workplaces, in our homes and in our schools, in our families, in our cities and in our streets, God. We worship you and we thank you for this moment that we have to look forward to what it is that you're calling us to. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Yeah. Amen. Anybody excited for Vision Sunday? Vision Sunday? I know if you're a guest with us this morning, you're like, no, I'm not excited at all because I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and that's okay. Welcome. Every single year at this time of the year, I take a moment to uh, collectively be able to talk to the church about our vision. And I actually love this moment uh, because for you as a guest, you get to kind of hear our heart, you get to hear what's going on, and then for those of us who have kind of been chugging away at this thing and we've been here for a little while, you get to one, celebrate everything that we've seen happen over the past year, and then we get to look forward to what it is that God's leading us into. But here's the thing about vision. Um, a lot of us can get a little bit scared sometimes with vision because it's like, oh great, what's pastor going to start throwing at us now? Like, all of a sudden it's going to be like this kitchen sink of stuff that we're going to start doing. And here's what I want us to hear at the gate. Um, I'm not going to throw anything new really at us because we're actually right now in the middle of our vision. We're actually doing what we've set out to do. And it's just growing and we're trying to create new spaces and places and do all those things. But we are actively engaged in what God is doing for us. And so what I want us to be able to hear is what does vision require? What does it continue to require of us as people, both as a church and then as individuals as well? So when we get into these points in a few minutes, I want to encourage you to lean into them. Because it's not just for us uh, collectively as a community, but it is for us as, as well as, as married couples and people in relationships and, and in our jobs, these points apply because here's the deal. If God has called you, equipped you, purposed you, he's got a reason and a rhyme for your life and my life, how many of you know we need to have a vision? Yeah, yeah. And I think so many times in life, one of, the, one of the biggest issues that we face is that we are visionless. That we actually don't live with vision. We don't live intentionally. We just kind of roam and, and wander and we're frustrated by it. And I want to call us to a new place in our faith, a new place in our life, to live a life of grand vision. Come on, somebody. That's good news. And so we're going we're gonna to look at what that looks like uh, today. But it is Super Bowl weekend. Um, no one cares because there's no good team in it. Um, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks are not in the Super Bowl, so no one cares. Um, <laughs> And I get to say that because I have the microphone. Um, but uh, I'm just playing. I've got good friends in here who care very much. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the reason, 
I bring that up is uh, I, I actually love athletics. I love elite athletes. Um, the Olympics. I love how many how many of you are fans of the Olympics? A few of you. Yeah, I love the I love the Olympics. I love what elite athletes do. I love golf. Is there any golfers in here? Golfers. Yeah, yeah. Come on, there's a few of us in here. Um, not as many. Uh, that's a boring sport, apparently. Um, but uh, I love golf. Um, I had the uh, privilege of not playing with a PGA Tour guy, but um, some of you may know, some of you may know this, who this person is. I had the privilege of playing with Betsy King. Um, she is a Hall of Fame female golfer. She's pretty much like the, uh, the Jack Nicholas of, of the LPGA. And uh, we showed up one, one afternoon or one morning at this golf course when we were in Phoenix to play with her, me and, and two other guys. And it was at her home course. And so we showed up and kind of like, we were just showing up. We're going to go play golf with Betsy King. We thought we were cool. Well, when I showed up, Betsy had already been on the range for two hours. She's, she's retired golfer, right? She'd already been on the range for two hours. And when I walked up to her, she had a Band-Aid on her chin. And I was like, what's with the Band-Aid? And she's like, oh, just, you know, out here practicing, like my, my shoulder rubs my chin raw. And I was like, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> Gone. Peace out. <laughs> And so, of course, I get paired up with Betsy King to play golf. And uh, I know that's what I said. Um, I was like, I'll just carry your clubs. I will caddy for you. <laughs> and so I get in the cart with her, and, and we're playing, and we get up to the first tee. And uh, the, couple, uh, the two guys that we were with, they, they teed off first, and then Betsy teed off. And, and she's like looking at it, and she's like, what do you think I should do? And I was like, I, I don't know. Don't ask me. Um, you tell me what to do. And so she lines up. She's like, I think I'm going to kind of like bend the ball over here this way and everything. And so, so she lines up and, whoa, geez, wow. and, and, and there's nothing like, there's, there's happy Gilmore people, which is the generic population of us in this room. Okay. And then there's professional golfers. And when you watch a professional golfer golf, it'll change your world. Just as much as if you're around elite athletes. I just happened to choose golf for this illustration. But she bent that, I mean, she did amazing things with that that ball, and I just sat back the entire 18 rounds, and no joke, it was the most, or not rounds, 18 holes. <laughs> um, see, I don't even know how to play. Um, and I, I was shanking the ball, I was hitting houses, I was doing all kinds of, I think I almost hit her once, like it was the worst round of golf that I could possibly play with this professional, and so I'm, I'm, she's watching me shank balls left and right, left and right, left and right, all day long. We finally get onto hole 18, and uh, I line up, and uh, I was like, man, I got to redeem something here. So hit this ball, and nope, no redemption whatsoever. That, that ball just went, and went straight into a house, and it was like this crack, not a window, maybe a child, but not a window. And she's just looking at me, and she's like, can I help you with something? And I was like, well, life in general, but golf would... Golf would be good. And uh, she's like, I've been watching you for all these holes. Can I help you with something? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and so she comes over here. She goes, line back up. So she lined up. She did a few things to my wrist. And then she says, hit. And I was like, all right. So I swung, boom, hit this ball. <laughs> Straight down the fairway. And I was like, Betsy, where were you for the past 17 holes? <laughs> Our whole round could have been different. Something I appreciate about elite, elite athletics and it's not just athletics, it's business, it's relationships, it's marriage, it's parenting, it's church, it's faith, you name it. Just about every aspect of our lives is impacted by the absence of or the engagement of vision. See, Betsy set out in her life to, to be a professional golfer. And she knew that there were certain requirements that were necessary in order to be as good as she is. I heard somebody say this the other day, I thought it was a profound statement. See, many people talk about their anointing, very few talk about their discipline. 
How many of you know it's one thing to be anointed, but it's another thing to be disciplined, right? See, you could come up to Stephen and be like, hey, I'm anointed to play the drums. You can come up to Pastor Justin and be like, hey, I'm anointed to play the drums. And they could, they could look at you and be like, oh, that, that's fantastic. Have you ever played before? Nope. He's like, I don't care how anointed you are. You're not playing. Because we've got, to have, we've got to have this connection right here. And so God can give us a vision, I've realized. God can give us vision for things. But how many of you know there's certain, there's certain actionable points that are required in order to walk into that vision? See, it's one thing to have a vision for my marriage. It's another thing to engage everything that I need to do in order to have that marriage be everything that I want it to be. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And so that's why Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Without revelation, people run wild. I love this, the CSB version. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Other translations say without vision, the people perish. Another translation would say without vision, the people cast off restraint. Why? Because vision is important for our lives. Vision is the directional force for our lives. And without it, without the visionary voice of God in our lives and in our church, we tend to find ourselves all over the place. This isn't just about having vision, but it's also walking that vision out. It's one thing to dream. It's another thing to walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. (laughs) Because for many, the requirements of vision, hear this, the requirements of vision tend to be more than we're willing to engage with or we simply just don't want to. And so today, I want to take a look at three things that vision requires of us in order to encourage us as a church to live out the vision that God has put before us, as well as to encourage us in our own personal lives. And then in and through these points, I'm going to make some announcements and talk about some things that are happening this year and in the years to come. Does that sound good? All right, I need your help this morning. Come on, we shout number one. First one is this. Vision requires us to do hard things. <laughs> Can I get an amen at church this morning? <laughs> Vision requires us to do hard things. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Notice that Paul's admonition was to not get tired. And I've come to realize that it's not the easy things that make us tired or weary. It is, in fact, the hard things that do that. See, I've never heard somebody say in life, man, I'm so tired from doing all the easy things I've had to do today. No one's ever said that, right? It is when we engage in that which is challenging, laborious, and flat out hard that we actually experience the rather satisfying reality of being tired. Have you ever been pleasantly exhausted? Like there's those moments in life, I know we all say we're busy and tired, but pleasantly exhausted where you get home, you lay your head on the pillow, and you know I'm going to sleep well because today I did that which was required of my life to put my best foot forward. So I love going to the gym is when you get in there, it's, it's horrible at first. But have you ever gotten out of there and you can't walk and you're sweating and you look like somebody slapped you 45 times in the face? You're all red, right? And, they, and how was that workout? And you expect the person to say, that was dumb. And they're like, oh, that was so good. Yeah. Erica came home from the gym the other day. Her face was like all red and she was all hot and bothered by it. And she was sore and everything like that. And she walks out and says, how was the workout? And she's like, that was awesome. It was such a good workout. Why? Because she was pleasantly exhausted by it. See, tired is not necessarily a bad thing, especially if it's being produced by engaging in things that are beneficial, world-changing, Jesus-focused. 
And when I spend my life doing hard things that produce impact, hope, joy, make the world generally a better place, come on, somebody, I'm glad to be tired from that. I'm glad to lay my head down on my pillow at night, exhausted from a day of engaging people, loving my wife, raising my children, praising my Jesus. I will gladly lay my head down at night, exhausted, because I gave everything that I am to be everything that God has called me to be. But it requires hard things. It requires us to do hard things. The truth is that vision requires us to do hard things, and those hard things, come on, somebody, it's worth it. This is what G.K. Chesterton was talking about when he wrote, the Christian ideal, (laughs) listen, this is crazy. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so for the reason for this is that many of us stop short of doing hard things because of the effort, sacrifice, and requirement and responsibility that comes with doing hard things. And many times we just simply don't want to do it. I use our marriage and parenting a lot, but how many of you in marriages would agree with me? Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. (laughs) Some of you are like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Keep talking. Don't worry, there's a relationship series coming up this year as well. (laughs) It's hard at times. It's exhausting at times. I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with a couple right now, and I love it. This is the stuff that I get geeked on. I love doing it. Why? And I'm popping their bubble that they live in right now. It's so fun for me. It's therapeutic. And I get to help them see, like, you have to work at your marriage. You got to do hard things in your marriage. You actually have to talk in your marriage. Vision requires us to do hard things. To build houses in Mexico, it requires us to do hard things, which we're going to do this year. To plant new communities throughout our city, it requires us to do hard things. To engage in helping those who are caught in the throes of sex trafficking, it requires us to do hard things. To build a multicultural church and seek to bring healing and reconciliation to racial divide, it's going to require us to do hard things. To pursue Jesus in light of the culture and climate that we're currently living in, it's going to require us to do hard things. To live the lives that God has designed for each of us, it's going to require us to do hard things. And to be the church that God has called us to be, it is going to require us to do hard things. Hard things. Hard things. Every great movement that has ever left a mark on a city, a state, a nation, and the world required engagement in the practice of doing hard things. But here's the problem. We've built a theology of ease. We only believe that God is in it or leading us to do something if it's easy. And the problem is that most times it's not. God is not seen in the easy. He's found in the difficult where we are required to rely on him more than we're able to rely on ourselves. We got to move away from the theology of ease and we got to understand that God has called us to recognize that his grace, come on somebody, is sufficient. It's sufficient. So this year, we're setting the course to tackle new things and new moments, as well as double down on many of the things that we've already started and desire to see find greater places of strength, significance, and influence. And this is not where a, a moment where I'm launching new things, as much as it's a moment where I'm going to say to us, let us not grow weary in well-doing. 
We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on building. We're going to keep on impacting. We're going to keep on loving. We're going to keep on pointing people to Jesus. We're going to keep building homes in Mexico. We're going to keep engaging our city with practical care and outreach. We're going to keep on working at building Redemption House and getting our hands involved in the dark places of our city. We're going to keep on multiplying communities in order to reach just one more person. This is us. We are that church. We are that church. And so we're going to keep on doing it. Number two, come on, Rashad, number two. I love this one. You're going to hate it. Vision requires us to change before we have to. Vision requires us to change before we have to. Isaiah 43, 19, many of us have heard this. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Everybody shout new thing. thing. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say new thing. Number turn to your other neighbor and say you're an old thing. Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. I'm just kidding. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. And then watch what he asks. Do you not perceive it? Do you not recognize it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Here's the bottom line. I'm a forgetful person at times. And as much as I work really, really hard to to work with my wife on this issue that I struggle with greatly in our house, um, I got to admit to you and repent before my wife that this struggle that I have happens quite a bit. And it's me not taking out the garbage. I know. It's, it's a rough life we live in. And here's the problem with the garbage. Maybe you've noticed this before. We can say this point, and then I want to drive it home. Vision requires us to change before we have to. How many of you know that if you're taking out the garbage when you have to, it's too late? Come on. Ladies, can I get an amen in the house today? <laughs> How many of you know when you're changing the garbage, like when you're taking out when you have to, we have a problem. There's chicken guts in there and eggshells. We eat a lot of eggs in our house and those things just get nasty, right? Like all kinds, all, and if I'm taking the garbage out when I have to, I'm also lighting candles, I'm washing out the, the garbage can, I'm spraying stuff in the house. Why? Because I waited too long. We haven't been called to change when we have to. We have to change before we have to. And that's what vision requires. It requires us to change before we have to. But this is how we tend to live. We procrastinate, don't we? No one wants to say amen right there. It's because you're waiting to see if you should. <laughs> we procrastinate. We wait. We push things to the last minute, especially when it comes to change. I get it. Change is hard. It often requires pain and tends to mess up the systems that we try to create in our lives to keep things easy and orderly. See, but the vision that God has for our lives and our church is one that requires us to change, and not just change, but change before we have to. Change will often be the hardest thing that we will ever do, as well as the most rewarding. Writer C.S. Lewis put it like this. It is hard, but the sort of compromise we're hankering after is harder. In fact, it is impossible. We are like eggs at present. And we cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. We must be hatched or go bad. I love that. Change is required to become all that God is calling us to be in our own personal lives and as a church. But as I said earlier, change for many of us, it's hard. It carries with it a measure of fear and uncertainty. But the Bible gives us a very important truth that we must realize about fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 
For God has not given us the spirit of fear, come on somebody, but of power, love, and sound judgment. See, we don't need to be ruled by fear and uncertainty as, as we've not been given that spirit, but rather we can live and move and change with power, love, and sound thinking. So I want to address some changes that we're making around here. Some things that we have to do as a church to change before we have to in order to step into everything that God is calling us to as a church. The first thing that I want to let us know, if you haven't been around here long enough, is that we are launching a second location downtown Salt Lake. We're really excited about that. Now, not, let me just clarify for my friend right here. Um, <laughs> it's really good friends. It's not exactly like downtown, downtown, downtown. Well, I know some of us have been worried about that, right? I guess there's multiple layers of downtown. It's on the fringes of downtown, so we actually have parking, okay? <laughs> so that's really what I know everybody's worried about. So, but we're still calling it our downtown community because that's who we're going to be reaching in that general area. And we have a hard and fast launch date now. City is approved. They've given us our permits. Everything is done. Construction is going. So March 10th, 2019. Coming to a neighborhood near you, we will have our downtown location. Check this out. Tim Keller wrote this. He said, 300 years ago, less than 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Today, it's over 50% and growing rapidly. It is estimated that 8 million people every two months move into the cities of the world. That is one new Bangkok every two months. The church has to be everywhere. There are people. But the people are moving into the city faster than the church is. If you love what God loves, you will love the city. <laughs> I read that and I got so pumped. <laughs> because we're going downtown. We're staying in Sandy. There's other places and spaces we're going. Why? Because we're not backing down as a church. We want to be the church that God's called us to be. And so with it, there's a few extra changes that we're making. First and foremost is that we are going to be moving our 5 p.m. service from our Sandy location to our downtown location. And the reason for this is, is that we have to clear space, take some weight off of Sandy right now as we get ready to bring a third morning service to this location as our services are, are getting fuller and fuller by the minute, week in and week out, okay? So with that, the 5 p.m. service, so if you are 5 p.m. are in here since we don't have service tonight because of Super Bowl, um, we want you to hear that announcement. Make sure that you're aware of that. Um, it's really sixes, depending on where you're coming from in the city, to get to that location. But it's going to give people that are skiing still the access to get downtown. And nothing is going to be any different. It's still going to be everything that, uh, that we have going on uh, here. So that's going to be absolutely awesome. And uh, here's the deal with some of the changes. Everybody's been asking, where are we going? What's happening? Who's going where? Andrew and Kaylin are our campus pastors down there. They're going to be... Andrew's going to be doing the predominant amount of the teaching there, especially in the morning services. The cool part about having a night service there is I'm going to be able to get down and do the same message that I'm doing here in Sandy in the mornings at the night service. I'm going to be predominantly staying here in Sandy. The reason for that is, is because we need to make sure that we anchor this place and continue to do everything that God's called us to do here in the South Valley. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right. So that's how things, but we are creating a communication team right now. So there's going to be multiple speakers and people starting to fluctuate a little bit more, and we've got to get used to that, right? Paul would address this issue as he would say, listen, one of you follows me, one of you follows Apollos, but how many of you know that God gives the increase? We cannot make this about people and personalities. We have to make this about vision, and vision requires us to do hard things and change before we have to. 
all right? And so there's going to be a lot of cool uh, moving parts there. The way that we're going to be framing this is that our communication team is working on the series together. So it's one series, same message all across. We're not doing video teaching. I know that's been a question. I believe in building and raising up new voices within our church, especially from the next generation. And so... Um, I actually get more geeked on raising up leaders than I do preaching and teaching, okay? And so um, that's going to be an exercise. So we're going to be in the same series, this Violence a Good series that we're getting ready to go into, which is going to be amazing. It's going to be the longest series we've ever done. Here's where I go rapid fire on you. So put on your thinking ears, listening ears, thinking head. Um, <laughs> it's going to be the longest series we've done, 12 weeks, starting in two weeks. It's going to take us all the way to Easter, studying the Gospels, and it's going to rock our church. It's going to be an amazing series. That's happening on both locations. We're also going to be moving in the direction of trying to uh, move us in the position where we can have video capture so that we can start making sure that the messages from all of our locations are being posted online so you still have the ability to hear everything everybody's saying. Okay? So that's what we're working on, but you will have live teachers and communicators in every single location, whether it's two locations or 2,000. I don't know. Right? So with that, having Andrew and Caitlin, here's the next big one that I'm super excited about. Andrew and Caitlin are going to be our campus pastors downtown, and we are getting ready to commission Dave and Sarah Nelson to be our Sandy campus pastors. They will be overseeing and working to make sure that our teams, ministry, and the daily management of our Sandy campus is working and moving appropriately. That's not moving me around once again. I know, like, I, I have to make sure that I qualify. They are, they, are, and they are doing the same thing that Andrew and Caitlin are doing. So they're all working together to make sure that both of our locations are doing the same thing. Okay? And then I get to be here to lead and to input and to care and to inspire and to hang out and everything like that. So these guys are going to be uh, really running logistics and doing a lot of the stuff, the same stuff that Andrew and Caitlin are doing on the north, uh, north uh, location. And so if there's things, especially when it comes to teams and stuff like that, Pastor Justin, he's not shifting or moving. He's just overseeing a lot more. Um, so <laughs> he's overseeing all of our locations there. Pastor Kaisa, Pastor Seth, who are in, um, I don't know, Europe right now. Um, good for them. So <laughs> yeah, oh, Spain. He texted me this morning. Yeah, you're raining. I'm in Spain. And I'm like, you're fired. Um, so that works. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're all going to be, what we're doing is we're creating what we call location, like, loca like locational ministry. But then we have this central team that's all working together to make sure that the well keeps everything that we are intact and continues to move forward. Does that work? Can we do this? All right, it's going to be awesome. So those are some of our big things you'll be seeing in a couple of weeks. We're going to be commissioning these guys as pastor, uh, pastors here. And um, right now they are currently our experienced team's directors. But come on, how many of you love Dave and Sarah? I mean, right, they're amazing people. Dave's honestly the best looking guy that we have in the church. And so um, Dave's not leaving his firefighting position, no, because he wants to be like Superman, okay? So firefighter by day, pastor by night. And... Um, it's going to be awesome. These are some of the changes that we have to make as a church. We have to change before we have to. And I know the common thought process could be, and I know that the enemy would love for us to get into our heads about this thing, and, and uh, we can get to this place where we're like, why do we have to change? Why, why, why break something that's not broken? Why mess with something that's working really, really well? And uh, at the end of the day, how many of you know Jesus had to commission his disciples? He said, I, had to, I have to go. But I leave with you a helper, the Holy Spirit. He'll be your comforter and your God. 
And we're in the same moment where it's like, hey, we've got to go. We've got, we've got to do new things. And we've got, to, we've got to stretch ourselves in order to continue to be the church that God's called us to be. Amen? Yes. All right, here we go. Number three, every shot number three. three. Vision requires us to sacrifice when we want to settle. Vision requires us to sacrifice when we want to settle. Matthew 26, 36 through 46, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, listen to what Jesus says. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was talking about the the crucifixion that was getting ready to take place. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me just, just one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. Oh, watch what it says, but the flesh is weak. Many times our spirit is willing, our faith is willing, but oh, my flesh is a little weak on this. And again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. See, vision requires us to sacrifice when we want to settle. Vision requires us when we think, man, this is really good. This is a good place to be. This is a good place to just settle in and circle the wagons. And I love my little thing that's happening here. And and Jesus is saying, church, you got to look up. There's so many people who need to hear the message and know the love and the grace and the hope that we have in Jesus. We have a city to reach. We have a nation to reach. We have a world to reach. And the church hasn't been called to sit down and to settle and to to be myopic in their thinking and seeing, but they've been called to look up. And see the broken and the hurting and the lost and the disenfranchised. And as we look up, we say, where do I fit into this big picture? Because can I tell you, as I look across this room, I don't see anybody who's disqualified from it. But rather, I see everybody who's qualified for it. Not because of what is in you, but because of what he has put in you. It's not you. It's not me. It's him. We've been called to live sacrificial lives. When we do, God is glorified. And to do this, it's going to take a couple things. Vision requires us to sacrifice when we want to settle. Sacrifice looks a certain way. It's a passion to give like never before. The truth is that we as a church are healthy financially. Our board manages things in a very awesome way. We do everything we can to stretch ourselves. This year I look and I look at the growth that we've gone through financially as a church and it's been absolutely amazing. But here's the, here's the problem is that many times the numeric growth of our church far exceeds this other side of it. So this year I'm saying church, we've got to pray through this and believe through this and think about this. We have to grow in both ways in order to have the resource that God has called us to do. Redemption House, it takes resource. Building houses takes resource. Building new communities takes resource. It all takes resource. So we've got to stretch and trust, uh, trust God with this. Every single year we have our motion offering, which happens in March. You'll hear more about that in the coming, coming weeks. One of the big questions I wanted to assess is our redemption house. Many of you don't know what that is. 
many of us do. Redemption House is a project that we've been working, working on in the background. The Wells hope is to buy houses and allow those houses to be a place of living for those who are being rescued and taken out of the sex trafficking industry that is rampant here in Salt Lake City. Last year, we had a goal of a million dollars as a church. I put it out there. We all swallowed hard in order to make Redemption House fly and our new location fly and everything like that. Last year, just under $100,000 came in. And so we've done and we've stretched and we've done everything that we could to get, help get these things off the ground. But at the end of the day, there's a big gap there. It's just mathematics. And so this year, we're going to keep on going. Seth was part of that as he is our program director for that. He's getting Redemption House up and going. The legalities that we have to work through as a church are astronomical. And so being able just to have a lawyer that we're working with in order to start working through the process, all those different things, as well as getting north off the ground because north location is the location that's really gonna help us anchor this, this reality as well um, in terms of its city engagement. With all those things, we've been able to do what we've done up until this point, but this is an ongoing thing. We are going to see Redemption House off the ground this year. I'm believing that. But it's gonna take us sacrificing like we've never sacrificed before. Also takes a passion to engage like never before. Get on a team, go on a trip, build relationships, get in a table group, engage, 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 right? We haven't been called to be a passive church. We've been called to be an engaged church. We've been called to be a church that loves with passion and veracity, without bias and bitterness to be a beacon of hope in this city. Theodore Roosevelt said it like this when he said, a mere life of ease is not in the end a satisfactory life. And above all, it is a life which ultimately unfits those who follow it for serious work in the world. Such a life is a tragedy, a wasted life. See, a life of sacrifice is a life of substance. A life of sacrifice has meaning. A life of sacrifice is a life that makes us have a mark on the world around us, not for our glory, well, come on, somebody, for God's glory. Amen. We're going to be that church this year. We're going to love big. We're going to engage big. We're going to give big. We're going to worship big. We're going to shout big. This is why I love Vision Sunday. Let us sink in. Let it be what it is. I hope today, if you're a guest with us, you'd hear the heart behind this message. I want us all to understand that the well has a vision, it's not my vision. <laughs> it's not my vision. Because I gotta be honest with you. Can I be honest? Can I be transparent? There's so many times I just wanna sit down and settle. Because pushing's hard, isn't it? Believing big is hard. But it's this year, and even this morning, I woke up with a, with a greater sense of energy knowing if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is in this thing, come on, he's going to be on this thing and he's going to work through this thing and he's going to do his thing. And we as people, his sons and daughters, we can be the type of church, we can be the type of marriages, we can be the type of families, like I said, draft this into every area of life. We can be the people, like Kevin Gerald just said on the screen, who stand before Jesus. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. My wife said it best at a conference she spoke at where she said, well done, good and faithful servant. You're a bit bruised, 
You're a bit nicked. You've had some pain along the way. But you limped over the finish line. You did it. You kept on going. You run the race. And I pray that we can be that church. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me?